Hi, this is Karina Ganters, host of Behind the Pen, and you're listening to the audio podcast. Enjoy. Behind the pen, how's everyone doing? I am a award-winning author of 13 books, a podcaster, YouTuber. I run Author Assist, which helps authors with their marketing and promotion. And I'm also the host of the radio show, um, Author Assist on the Artist First Radio Network. Enough about me. My guest today is Robert uh, Book. Welcome to the show, Robert. Thank you, Karina. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Whereabouts are you in this world? I'm in sunny Southern California, about 20 minutes north of Hollywood, or Hollyweird. Hollyweird, is it? <laughs> How sunny is it over there at the moment? It's uh, it's sunny and hot. Yesterday, it was probably 109, something like that, so... Well, I'm, I'm over in the island of Corfu in Greece, and we are going about 40 at the moment, so we're having a heat wave as well. Good to know that we're all, we're all <laughs> suffering. <laughs> Have you got the aircon on? I've got my aircon on. Yeah, and a ceiling fan too. Yeah. <laughs> well, summer's here with a vengeance. What can you do? Just go swimming as often as you can and enjoy the summer. There you go. Okay, so behind the pen is for anyone that holds a pen. You could be an artist, illustrator, writer, director, editor, musician. Um, so what do you use your pen for, Robert? I use it, I, I write songs and I also uh, write screenplays and I write uh, books. So, Oh, wonderful. Let's start with I, the songs. I'm very okay. interested I, about that. Um, do you sell these songs? Do you write them for other people or do you do it for yourself? It's mainly for myself. Um, what happened is um, I started uh, like scribbling stuff and I, I, I always have a, um, a yellow lined um, notepad with me where I put my to-do list, there you go. So um, <laughs> sometimes what I do is I will um, sit and write things. Wow, and how long has that been going on for now? You, um, just a couple of years, actually, not too long. Maybe, uh, you know, 2015 or so, 2016, I think. I've never um, tried writing so on and on. I don't my do own, it. yeah, I've never tried writing my own songs, but I'm a singer as well. Um, normally someone who's talented they have more than one talent they're not just an author they're an illustrator they're not just an author they're a singer with you you're a songwriter with me I'm a singer you know once you've had that uh, blood uh, talented blood in you it's amazing uh, how creative you can get so um so you sing as well or, or do you just uh, do you do the tune in your head I do a tune in my head and then I will send it to someone who will put a piano track to it and then from there it will go to a singer. 
So if you're interested, I can send you a couple of songs and uh, or links to the songs and uh, over 30,000 downloads of songs and stuff. Wow. 30,000 of a song will resonate with people. So, you are, but I don't uh, sing. I might. <laughs> my wife claims that I sound like a drunk Bob Dylan who's still insisting he's okay to drive, you know, so I, I don't sing very well. I think Bob Dylan always sounds like he's drunk, whether he is or not. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely send me a link to that because I'd definitely like to listen to your stuff and uh, and and um, hear your uh, songwriting talents. So, screenplays. Let's move on to them. How did that all start? Screenplays. Um... Probably everybody here in Los Angeles is <laughs> writing a screenplay. Because so it's Hollywood. Not, yeah, because Hollywood's there. They've actually filmed a couple of things over at my office. Um, and I'm at a bar that's close to you, you get paid for an in, like an inconvenience fee. So um, I love it when they film. Um, <laughs> and then I, I will. So being close to that, then you can hand something off a script or a screenplay to someone. So you've got kind of an in, you get to meet the people, the vocation scout or the, you know, the AD or somebody you cool. know, like that. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you know someone, you put sort of in the door a little bit. Um, you know a little bit better what they're looking for too. Um, but they're, a lot of this stuff, uh, the stuff that they film near me is um, like NCIS, like, it's funny because you think it takes place in Virginia, but it's all Southern <laughs> California. <laughs> it's just, I know the streets. I know the area. <laughs> it's it's, <fun. laughs> it's, uh, it's like a, a lot of the, the filming's done indoors when it's supposed to look like it's outdoors with the green screen behind and what have you. It's amazing. I, I love uh, the idea of uh, filmmaking. And of course, every author wants their book turned into a movie. Every author wants to see that on the main big screen. I've got a book that two um, screenplay uh, writers are interested in. So um, I keep my fingers crossed on that because uh, that book, if that ever came on big screen, no one's ever seen anything like it before. So that's uh, no more reruns, no more um, take, you know, doing a, another Dirty Dancing or another... Um, a re remake of something that never needs remaking and spending millions of dollars when there are amazing authors out there with amazing scripts waiting to be asked to see them you know it's such a shame well i, actually, well, um, I actually went to a meeting that this guy this producer got my script and um he said i want to meet you have coffee so i meet him in uh, uh and um young guy probably you know 25 26 and um that like this uh, and he he was with fox so he said what i'm looking for is liar liar but now liar liar but now i mean that's how he talked you know it's <laughs> like um so all they're interested in is remaking things that is that, such a that's shame. really Hollywood. That is it such is a shame. shame. It really is. Because there's so many amazing authors out there with 
so much unique and original stories waiting to to give it to the right person for the right person to read it and for things to happen and it's such a shame that they will spend uh, billions on doing remakes or or want the same kind of comedy or the same kind of thriller series such a shame so let's go to your novel writing now this is a I'm very interested in this when you told me about this. So uh, why don't you tell me all about <laughs> your book? Okay, this one, it's called uh, Shaky's Madness. And um, the subtitle is, Does a Mental Disorder Reveal the Real William Shakespeare? And I wrote it during the pandemic. Well, I was watching TV and uh, they kept on having these commercials for Latuda, my cell phone and what is Latuda? So, and how much does it cost? Because these commercials cost a lot of money. And um, Latuda is a drug that, uh, that helps alleviate the symptoms of bipolar disorder. Mm. So I, I kept that in mind. A um, little bit later that same day, I was on Twitter and doom scrolling. I saw Sir Patrick Stewart, reading there was a video of him he was doing a sonnet a day and um he read i was watching this video listening to him read the sonnet and um the sonnet was full of doom and despair and death and i kind of joked to myself i said it sounds like old shaky could have used some latuda and then i thought what if that was true what if the real author was different from the man that we've always heard. What if um, that is the key to solving this mystery? Like was William Shakespeare Bradford upon Avon or was it another person? You know, as far as I'm concerned, every author I know goes through um, depression. And it's when we go to that dark place that the magic happens with the writing. And I think because of our, our artistic talent, um, we do suffer from depression. So I can imagine that Shakespeare was the same because he's a writer. Now, if you think of Juliet, Romeo and Juliet and Macbeth, and oh, they were so um, depressing and um, dark and, you know, you can imagine someone who was suffering from depression writing these um, these uh, screenplays for for these uh, amazing plays that are now classics. So I I can imagine that the real Shakespeare, whether he was from Stratford-Navon or someone different, definitely had some sort of uh, mental problem because uh, most of us writers do, and we hear our characters talk to us when we're writing. That makes us a little bit schizo, whether um, writers want to admit that or not, it's the truth. We hear, we do hear them talking in our heads and we listen to what they have to say. Uh, and so Shakespeare could have been the same, but uh, if you go back to that time where there wasn't um, a reason for it, that there wasn't so many writers out there that were suffering the same thing, then it would look to someone as if he is totally loony, as if he is has two 
sides, you know, bipolar, like you say. So carry on. I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, um, one of the things that I noticed was all the fainting in Shakespeare. And, um, you know, I counted like nine times of fainting, and I thought that was a lot. And then I thought to myself, what am I doing? I'm counting fainting, right? Someone has probably done this before me, <laughs> because this, this is, let's face it, this is the, I can, I should Google search this. So I did. And there's a physician, British physician, who actually went through every single line of the 154 sonnets and four long poems and 37 plays of William Shakespeare, 10 instances of near fainting, 10 instances of death by fainting. So to me, that spells out a person who either they fainted often as a child or they have this recurrent, what they call a recurring thought or a racing thought, something that um, goes over and over. It's kind of like what bipolar people do a lot of times, they don't sleep because they have the same thought that continues over and over. My belief is that the real, there were two cures for, for fainting, using a whip and putting the person in a dark room. Sure. Now, um, that doesn't sound very pleasant, right? <laughs> the, and the second one was the use of what they called mummia or mummy. Now this is, you know, in Egypt, they have embalmed bodies. So what they would do is they would take some of the cloth and bones of this person from Egypt and send it to England they were, where they would grind it up and apothecaries would sell this stuff. And we find this in three of Shakespeare's plays. Okay, sure. Um, and um, so uh, there's a lot of things about William Shakespeare from Stratford-upon-Avon that just don't make sense or, or don't add up. For example, he he lived. He was brought up in Stratford-upon-Avon, which is about 100 miles from London. Mm -hmm. Back then, it was a three-day ride by horse. And um, the distance for someone here in Los Angeles would be that, it, you know, he worked there for 20 years in London, or 20 plus years. So you would think he would be sending letters to, you know, his friends, colleagues, wife, children, things like that. Not one letter has ever been found. And to me, that doesn't make sense. Because they say, you know, the strip, uh, experts such as Stanley Well, those people would have kept one letter. It just seems absurd that over 400 years, not one letter has ever been found that was written in the hand by William Shakespeare. So to me, that doesn't make sense, especially if he was collaborating. The second thing that doesn't make sense is, um, you know, there's a, there's an old saying that people will work nine to five jobs to the arts, right? They will mm -hmm. quit their jobs just to be an artist. Mm -hmm. And Shakespeare is the only person that I know who was in the arts who quit his job in the arts to lend money. And that just seems bizarre to me. Lend There's a money. saying. Yeah, he was a money, he became a lending money lender in 1609. And the, the only one letter was ever written to Shakespeare 
was someone asking him to make a loan for him. So we know he was a money lenderer. And he, he also hoarded grains, according to, there's a, a wonderful um, website called, uh, um, the Folger Shakespeare, Washington, DC. They have, um, the it's the largest library of, of uh, the largest collection of Shakespeare um, documents and items um, outside of England. There was a, a man called um, Folger who made coffee and made millions, you know, Folger's coffee. <laughs> so owns like 60 first folios and things like that. So they made this library and you can go to the document where Shakespeare is baptized, for example, online. And so that's what I did in this in this book. I, I went online and you know how they say it's William Shakespeare is the author, right? So to me, it's, I do in my book, it's a conversational kind of fun book where I tell you my investigation. I've been to Stratford-upon-Avon and um, you've got the Rose Theater and uh, all of the, um, historical and touristy things to see about William Shakespeare and of course Stratford-upon-Avon is famous because he was I don't know if he was born there but he was living there and of course that his grave is there as well is his grave there do you think that is really William Shakespeare's grave oh yeah I do uh, now here's the thing um I went there when I was about 20 or 21 years old and I can't tell you how disappointed I was. It was kind of like if somebody comes to California and they expect to see Disneyland and they get taken to a miniature golf course in Van Nuys. I mean, it's kind of like people would be going, wait, I thought that there was gonna be this huge castle or something. So you have in your mind, your imagination, what there had to have, um, you know, lived. And you would think because of all the talk of royalty and all of these, I mean, if you think about it, probably 90% of his plays take place inside, inside some kind of royal setting, whether it's a duke or it's a queen or, mm -hmm. or whatever. I mean, most of them um, have kind of, they rub shoulders with the royalty. Mm -hmm. So you think to yourself, if he's living a hundred miles away, it doesn't sound like he was growing up with royalty at all. And so, and I get it that um, people like this story and I saw the touristy things, Abbey. That's where I thought Shakespeare would be like downtown London, Big Ben, right there. That's, that's where it was written. <laughs> and so it just seemed like such a disappointment. I'm, I'm telling you, it's, and, what and this were you is, expecting? What were you expecting what, when you went there? Because when I went there, what I saw was what I was expecting. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they, they kind of made it like, okay, so this is how plays were done back then. Queen, Queen Elizabeth, and um, post, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. It just seemed like, it was, I was okay. I was taking a Shakespeare, and um, one of my instructor's favorite sonnets was Sonnet One Sixteen, and um, I had to write a uh, a paper on it. 
and um, I ended up rewriting the the sonnet. So sonnet one sixteen. I that's the one. Let me not to the marriage of true minds that rewrite it. And um, when I got my sonnet or my paper back, um, I had a note at the end at please see me after class. So I had to meet my instructor in her office. So she was not too happy. <laughs> so, uh, but I include it in um, in this book because it even my 19 year old self or 20 year old self, whatever, um, I had stumbled onto something that kind of proves again bipolar disorder in the real author, and uh, that's something. You kind of have to, have to kind of have to read it because it's kind of long-winded. But um, if you actually read through things closely, you will get the the gist of it. That um, there was another person who was the seventeenth Earl of Oxford, Edward de Vere, who long has been associated with. I think. That is true. I think he was the real um, author. And that's kind of what my... I remember from, from the film Shakespeare in Love, um, they had uh, a fight between the two playwrights. And he said that he stole his idea or he paid him for the play and he hasn't given it to him. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the film, but it seems like um, something was going on there about who actually wrote the play, who was the actual writer of that play and, and why did he sell it? You know, why didn't he keep it as in, for himself? You know, so even in, even in a, a film like Shakespeare in Love, there was question marks about his, who William Shakespeare was. Yeah, my theory is more is crazier. <laughs> it, yeah, what it what I say is basically, here's a person who found relief in writing because he was bipolar, but part of his disorder was um, he was. We I think you said it earlier, kind of like a paranoid schizophrenic. He he had I believe a case of that where he would not want to touch um, the authorship with a 10-foot pole. So I think he was completely happy to have someone else take the acclaim. He did not, he, in fact, he tried to cover it up. But here's the thing with bipolar people is that one day you can be feeling, I don't want to have anything to do with this. And the next day I want to take credit for things in his words and, um, I, I think that is expressly afraid of being caught as the owner. So I don't, or author, I, I don't think he wanted that at all. So- um, He was basically a ghostwriter. He, he was kind of um, like a ghostwriter in a way, but I think that it it's a little bit different in that, um, let's suppose, and so if you stop writing, you, you get the headache. So he, he has to write basically he has a, a need to write and a compulsion to write. And he just, he, he this guy was um, an incredible writer. And, um, but if, as far as authorship goes, if 
he was he would never put his name on it because if so that would give him an with his name on it so it's kind of like a, a, a detective story where again you're looking you know at the alibis and so if one person has bipolar disorder and you see bipolar disorder symptoms in the the works in of bipolar disorder and this one man has the symptoms i mean today in the united states 2.5 percent of the population have bipolar disorder so it's a rare thing mm. it's not symptoms of six depressive ones and um you know obviously and one of and the the one hamlet says to be or not to be he is contemplating there are a lot of suicides in in the plays and so sometimes people will say well maybe it was a group of writers and um <laughs> they they kill each other or they you know uh, usually groups of writers you know if you watch tv they like happy ending yeah, if you think of uh, one of his plays like Midsummer Night's Dream, I mean, that was totally wacko for someone to come up with uh, uh, a story like that with the, the queen of the fairies and the king of whoever and then these mortals and for making them fall asleep and putting a, a donkey's head on another. I mean, you have to be a, a bit of a... a uh shaky to uh to write something like that to begin with you know not i mean that was that was funny and and it was entertaining but then like you said you've got the dark stuff like hamlet and macbeth which is which goes really dark i mean any writer any author that's written more than one or two books has always gone to that dark place um there's no getting out of that and um when you said before about the compulsion to write, when you're in the zone as an author, when you're in the zone, that's what you have to do. You have to write. Everything around you is forgotten. You're in a bubble. And who knows when that bubble will burst. But while you're in that bubble, you're writing. And that's, as I know, many authors feel that same way when they're in the zone. And maybe back then it could be thought as being crazy as being schizo as being bipolar when in fact he was just like us a, an author that goes through these uh, phases when they write yeah that um that would be nice but there's there's too much evidence that um that he uh, that he is bipolar. <laughs> I mean, it's it's um, the um, I, I I lost my train of thought. But um, okay. one of the things that um, like um, as a writer, you're taught that uh, writers write what they know for the first and, book. Um, well, here's what I'm saying, that um, when you talked about Macbeth, for example, you were talking about someone like pretending to see a ghost, I guess. So um, in real life, Edward de Vere, when he was 17 years old, um, stabbed a man and uh, he died. And um, 
he got, basically got away with murder because his uh, his foster father, who was William Cecil, the Secretary of State to Queen Elizabeth, pretty, you know, got it off on a suicide. Now back then, um, a suicide was like, um, you know, uh, morally indefensible. It, it was kind of like that if you committed suicide, your properties would all revert to the crown and your wife and children would be forced to beg on the street. Yeah. And that's what happened to this, this man. His, he, you know, he was not allowed to be buried in sacred Christian grounds. His wife and um, kids were the street. And I think that um, in retrospect, I think um, Oxford or Edward de Vere was thinking about it. Maybe he saw her in London <laughs> begging and it was kind of like seeing a ghost. And so I think when you, you know, when you add up all these coincidences, uh, you know, of his life with the plays and um, you can kind of stitch together how, you know, how you you could write about it and it would make sense and it would bring you a sense of relief at the same time. Does that make sense? It does make sense. But let me ask you this uh, last question before we finish. How much research did you do for your book and how much of it was for your love of Shaky? <laughs> well, here's the thing. There is so much research already done so I just look at things a little differently. That's, that's the thing. And um, that's, uh, there's a new book out called um, North by Shakespeare where this man spent 15 years researching. Um, again, I did not spend that much time. All they did was I looked at everything differently because I had a month off where I could, you know, study it, look at it differently. And, and that, again, that's what my instructor, when I rewrote, you know, his sonnet um, said that, you, you know, you looked at this uh, a lot differently. That's good to have a, a different uh, viewpoint and, and to, especially someone as famous as uh, William Shakespeare, to, to think that it might not be who he said he was, and things are not always what they seem. And to, to write a book like that, that'd be very, very interesting. I bet you had a lot of fun doing that as well. Well, again, it's kind of like, how can you write a song if you can't sing, you don't play a musical instrument, and yet people like to, <laughs> to play these songs and, re and listen to them and, 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 and enjoy them. So it's kind of like, if you can imagine that, I mean, then you can imagine that I'm making sense out, out of a 400-year-old mystery that, and uh, one uh, Stratford <laughs> expert said, no one in over 400 years has looked at it this way. You're the first person. So yeah. it's kind of like an original, you know, twist. That's cool. And yet it makes sense. It yeah, makes so sense to you. It's just a fun kind of thing. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. It makes so, sense to, well, here's, other psychiatrists have not, not um, said no to it. In other words, I thought, okay, and that's, that's the scary part is that, mm. um, you know, 
See, because there is no test. You can't. Bipolar disorder. There's no blood test. There's no x-ray. It's a mood disorder and it switches. So people can be happy and then they can be sad. And, yeah. You know, it's takes... a chemical lack of lack of a chemical in the brain that makes them feel those two different uh, um, emotions. So, um, Robert, where can people find um, Shaky? What's it called? Shaky's Madness. I love the title. Yeah. It's uh it's on Amazon and all bookstores. Um my website is robertboog.com. Um uh, and uh you can just Google search uh, or you know Shaky's Madness, you could probably find it there. <laughs> um I try to keep the price low, so it's just a fun thing. Um, but at the same time, I want to bring awareness to bipolar disorder mm. because the symptoms don't come out until a person reaches the, their early adulthood, like between 19 to 25. And that's the time when people are studying Shakespeare. And because probably back in Shakespeare's time, um, you know, it was probably less than 1% of the population. Now it's, it's increasing. It's over two and a half, almost 4% worldwide. So what, there's something happening, whether it's drugs or maybe our dependence to our our phones, but something something is happening that is causing our moods to change and suddenly. And um, so I, I want to bring that. awareness to that. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. There's uh, definitely something going on. It's uh, um, <clears throat> and it could actually be mobile phones. They always say that uh, they're dangerous and uh, people just have them stuck to their hands. Um, I'm the same. I go to the toilet, take my phone to read. I go and eat, take my phone to watch something while I'm eating. And it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It's FOMO, right? Um, it's, it, it's an addiction to, it's an addiction. you know, missing, fear of missing out. You it's know? A, it's, that's, a, it's that's an addiction, exactly. Um, and with it being so uh, dangerous to, to be on your phone um, as much as you do, um, I can easily uh, see uh, mental illnesses uh, being affected by that. So uh, Robert, are you on uh, social media at all? Can people find you on Facebook or Twitter anywhere? Yes, um, on Twitter, it's uh, BobBoog1 or at BobBoog1 and Facebook. You can go to Facebook Boog Music mm. and you can listen to some songs there. So <laughs> there you go. I am. I'm looking forward to listening to that. Yes, most definitely. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on Behind the Pen. It's been uh, very enlightening and um, a, a, um, a very interesting uh, conversation. And uh, I wish you all the best with your book and, of course, any more that you write. Oh, thank you. I, I want to show you the picture if people are, I don't know, wondering. Go ahead. Up uh, there. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah. It's just a drawing that my son did. But I know people when they watch Zoom, they'll they're wondering like, what is that? Or you know, <laughs> okay.